1: It's 2019, and it's time to welcome you to Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Gather gather around the table this year, we've got Patrick Klepek. Hello. Austin Walker.
2: Another year, another Waypoints. Natalie Watson.
3: I'm here in 2019, and I cannot say if it's better yet, because who could say? If it's don't, good yet,
1: don't pull the curtain back on the little podcast
3: magic. <laughs> don't. I said I'm here in 2019. All I right. just can't say if it's good or not.
1: That's true. It'll 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 take some time before we before we know the answer to that one. <laughs> I guess it's um, maybe
2: important because it's like you know, maybe we've been very busy with the holidays, and if any big news hit, then we just uh, I just missed it all. Whoops! If there was, uh, yeah,
3: because we were offline. Who could
2: say if? Donald Trump's you know Trump University also was destroyed or or uh, also. Uh, shut down on top of the charity
3: Oh yeah you know what I
2: mean maybe other events have happened I missed it because I've been celebrating and resting It's possible
1: the impeachment eagle is soaring above uh, <laughs> above Washington and the uh, chief marshal of the Supreme Court okay, has the uh, has the special uh, legal um, stormtroopers heading to the White House right now. Is she still do doing think- that thing?
0: Like, is she? I do-
1: is she? She graduated out
0: of being a successful grifter, right? Like, she cannot seriously still be out there.
1: I mean, the problem is I muted all of them. <laughs> like, I just don't know. I feel I mean, like I, look, I,
0: mark of progress by the end of twenty eighteen. This wasn't a yeah. waypoint. Is that you know? Progress has to be made. There's more to go. But uh-huh. if we're taking low bars, is that like was a lot of these grifters seem to have gotten out of people that I respects feeds. And the point I was making before everything was I was trying like I've forgotten the name of the one that we were railing against earlier this year. It was the 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 academic who had the long tweet threads. That was like their whole thing. Oh,
1: uh, Seth. Abramson.
2: Seth Abramson? Abramson? Yeah, yeah. yeah, The fact
0: that we had to struggle to find that man's name is is one of those small signs of progress by the end of twenty eighteen, is that most people have moved beyond that.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean that dude still has five hundred and seventy four thousand
0: Yes, the grift is still like, real. People yeah. follow the fucking Krasensteins, right? I, I barely knew yeah. who they were. Yep. No,
2: you're right. You're right. There's
3: you're a good. Are those the brothers?
0: Yes, there was a, uh, a Vice News Tonight did a segment on them like a week or two ago. It's like five minutes long. They flew out to like their dual mansions that they live next to each other in. What? Dude, they are...
3: do they have a bridge connecting them? That'd be fun.
0: <laughs> I have, I respect. It's like it more facing often. worlds, but for
1: the resistance.
0: <laughs> I love facing God. worlds. It's one of my favorite maps in a game ever.
1: God, anyway. but you're if right. We, if, if we were neighbors, Patrick, I would connect our houses with Hell a yeah. bridge Aww. and put a put a nuclear missile launcher in the middle <laughs> of it.
3: What if we were neighbors, Rob?
2: Uh, a moat. <laughs> That shit from the Purge. Just get one, of the, like the Purge kit, set up.
3: <laughs> knock, knock, Rob. What's up?
2: Can't let you shutters in. come <laughs> down. Sorry, just
3: locked. <laughs> wow. Locked. I understand my place. I understand my role on this team.
1: Well, right <laughs> now, though, your role is to take us with you once again on your magical journey through television classics. Uh, so we a journey this... that
3: actually you accompanied me on.
1: It's true. I, I figured, if not now, then when? Mm. And so uh, we're, we're going to sort of circle back to the beginning of Waypoints and back to Twin Peaks, which I think, Natalie, was how you kind of led off the show.
3: Yeah, Twin Peaks, I think, was my first Waypoint, if I am not mistaken, but I could be wrong. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, and I'm currently ahead of you, Rob. I'm uh, in the middle of season two, which has been a fucking struggle to get through, let me tell you. It's bad. I don't like it. But. I think
1: this is, I I did not get into season two because I felt like at the end of season one, I was in a really good place. Yeah. And I did not want to uh, complicate that feeling before I discussed Twin Peaks. Oh,
3: it's complicated for me. But. I will revert to an earlier version of myself before the Twin Peaks Season 2 patch, and let's talk about Twin Peaks Season 1.
0: I just wanted, like, one side note on that is that when I tried to catch up on Twin Peaks before the third season started, and then fell off it, but people gave me a roadmap. Like, a friend of mine who's, like, a hardcore Twin Peaks fan, he's like, I think it's like what? He's like, watch the first, like, 13 episodes of Season 2? There's, like, a specific break. And then he's like, watch the last two. You're gonna be a little confused. You can when go. Do you don't watch watch you're gonna worried. miss, da-
2: you're gonna miss David Duchovny after after you, season two. You watch Firewalk with me after season two. And I'm you just watch trying it.
3: to get there. I'm trying to get to Firewalk. You with are. Me. Yeah,
2: that's just true. You do miss David Duchovny playing a trans character, actually, which and playing her incredibly well in a way that has. There's been some great critical writing about about his portrayal of her and how. Uh, I think it was um, Samantha Allen who wrote a great piece about that character and how, like. You know, she, as a, as a writer and cultural critic, has said many times that, like, no, please cast trans actors and actresses mm-hmm. in, in trans roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, loves this character. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Denise is her name in season two. She's fantastic. Duchovny does a, a, a very good job with the material. That is provided. I think w- in lesser hands, uh, Denise would be a disaster. Yeah. Um. Uh. But but it surprisingly lands okay. Um. Then. But yes, yeah, so you miss that stuff. But your friend is right, Patrick. So I am. I'm the person who's seen everything. Right. I'm the only Twin Peaks person yeah. in the room. Kato, I think, has seen everything. Also on on, on the mixing board right now. But um. Yeah. I, I advise for both of you as people who are going into Twin Peaks season two. If you have a lot of time and and need something on push through where you're at, Natalie, because you're about what ten episodes into season yeah.
3: two, like on episode ten or eleven, I think
2: you've been like one or two like pretty okay episodes. And if you're already having issues, then you're going to have issues.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I need to know the fucking issues. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if I'm going down the yeah. comprehensive journey that is like yeah I from that. season one all the way through the movie and then. season three three, like I might as well just know all the material like I rather experience that firsthand and especially because I feel like this show is so interpretive like in terms of your viewing experience Mm. of it that it is kind of crucial for me to kind of make my like make my own way and have my own relationship with it um, which, like I said before, is extremely complicated. And I think the show's gone places that lean too far into the kind of, what is like a bad soap opera mm-hmm. in the early 90s what are those hooks like what what are the tropes like what are and without complicating those like without like engaging yeah without, like, engage, yeah, without yeah. engaging in them w- i'm sorry engaging with them in the same way that they were engaging with them in the first season um so my frustrations are are definitely Ample at this point already. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm still going to keep going.
1: Well, like season one is right on that knife's edge in, in a lot of ways. And I, today I was sort of refreshing myself on it a little bit and, and reading up. And I uh, I cannot find the person who wrote this in. I don't think they emailed us. Uh, maybe it was somebody on Twitter. But they had a really good observation back when we first talked about this show, which was that um, some of the things that were really kind of confounding me about Twin Peaks is the sense that it has this divided identity on the one hand there is like a brilliant atmospheric weird strange cinematic Twin Peaks that is happening and Mm. then there are times where it is almost like a parody of like some kind of soap opera and Mm. it feels cheap and artificial and weird and somebody wrote in and mentioned that one of the really strange things that you that is hard to imagine, uh, if you're encountering Twin Peaks today when it's already been this cult object for like you know twenty yeah. twenty some years, is that Twin Peaks is coming into a television environment where people's expectations have been informed by TV's TV shows like uh, Dynasty and Dallas, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Twin Peaks is borrowing a grammar from a show that basically doesn't
2: exist anymore and. People don't yes and, really watch anymore. Yes and no, but like Empire is huge, right? Like there are still nightly soap operas that, that are just as convoluted. Oh, dude, Ghost watch Pearl. Empire. What? Like I have that, watched Empire, but okay, I'm that saying like in terms of the that, aesthetic. You know, sure, I, I think yeah, he's saying yeah, like
0: yeah. The, yeah, there's a very specific like. But I want to
2: make sure we're not pretending that the soap the operas prime, don't exist. Look at time, <laughs> the prime time soap opera. I like I, I think there's even a distinction there, but like I, I do think that that still exists. And I say this because I'm I'm. I want the next twin I want something in our world to do that again, right? To play mm-hmm. with the the format and the aesthetic of of empire, of those the the contemporary primetime soap operas because I think that those are you're right that it's distinct. Um but I but I think that and that is a huge part of why that show landed the way it did at the time because you literally had people watching Twin Peaks the way you would have – the way they would have watched Dallas and Dynasty and would have expected it to go that direction. And so every little change is a huge subversion for that audience who thinks they're getting Who Killed JR and instead are getting Firewalk With Me, right, B- mm-hmm. between two door, whatever. I don't fucking remember the spell. I forget the thing. Yeah, I'm bad. Yeah. A fake fan. Yeah. <laughs> But the the other thing is that apparently the entire first season was shot and
1: edited before it aired, which is mm. the other thing that I I didn't. Know that know. is put- true.
2: That is true because there is a the European uh, the it aired in Europe as a TV movie. Right, you warned us about this. Uh, making sure you don't watch that because it's in the DVD collection that you could just watch the European movie version, like made for TV movie, that reveals that reveals a killer that says like oh this is the killer which footage that is not in the show mm. um which is wild but but, but yeah you're right same, and
3: like they just like film that scene for the specific it is European... it, so you've
2: seen the scene you've seen I've already seen it but you by know now. who the killer is at this point natalie yeah right it is it reveals an element of that without showing any of it it's a completely different scene it's
3: sequence. Just, like said
2: it's com- we'll talk about it off okay. of mic because I don't okay. want to spoil it for, for yeah. Rob who should continue watching it because I think the lead up to that stuff is really important and mm-hmm. is like one of the rare times when I'm like, I don't want to spoil this for somebody. Yeah. You know? yeah. But
1: it is so strange to think of this first season as like nobody working on it knows how it is going to be received and yeah. nobody knows that they're working on something that's going to become this like cult phenomenon. Uh, and I do wonder if that's kind of what contributes to the unevenness of season two, is that suddenly Twin Peaks is self-aware. Twin Peaks, it has a larger episode order, and it knows-
0: Has it,
3: expectations, yeah. has an, an audience. An audience to
0: serve. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is like the uh, first season doesn't have an audience. It's, totally. I mean, it does, but not, it's, when you have a relationship with an audience, that's a hugely different thing.
2: And also you're just weighing it against itself at a certain point, right? Like yeah. there, I've said this about look, Hannibal is one of my favorite shows of the recent few years. Um, oh, it's yes. getting up there in a while now. But first season was like a revelation to me. In fact, I would say that Hannibal in some ways did do this. But instead of doing it for the soap opera, it was doing it for like the crime procedural mm-hmm. where you go into it and you're like, oh, OK, I'm going to get like a kind of gory like um, – uh, what, what is the one with the FBI profilers? What's the – uh, oh Dexter old. Dexter Dexter is Land fine. There's, no, there's like a older than that but like CBS Criminal Minds Criminal Minds is what I'm thinking of. Yes. Cuz this is another this is another I network show. watched a show. lot of
0: Criminal Minds in college. It was totally, just on totally. it was just so, on uh, TBS or TNT all So like all day. the, the
2: Important thing here is like Twin Peaks. Hannibal. Hannibal didn't air on HBO or Showtime, where I would have been thinking about Dexter, where I would have been thinking about other like prestige television. It aired on what NBC, CBS, NBC, 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 NBC and uh, at, like ten it PM. Is, it is unbelievably gory. What, yeah, <laughs> like, they got you away find... with wild shit <laughs> in was... Hannibal.
3: How did they get away with that?
2: I don't fucking know. Uh, there's Rhymes? an actually. I don't no, know. <laughs>
0: I, I used to know why—there was actually—it's not a loophole, but it's, beca- it's like, because it was produced not by NBC. There was, like, a way that they got away with doing more violent stuff that had it gone through the normal network channels, it would have been gotcha. uh, uh, layered back. Hannibal, that's, like, good. just side note, so, like, go watch that fucking show. Yeah. It is yeah. brilliant.
2: Uh, and for me, that first season was a revelation— because it was it was playing in the same space as Criminal Minds, there was kind of Killer of the Week type stuff, where you had this the the lead kind of profiler was putting it together and was going to Hannibal for help and clues while kind of being seduced by Hannibal and his and his like into his darker self or whatever. And then season two hit, and I like I liked it still, but it felt like I was weighing it against the first season's revelation, the, the, yeah. and and that made it lose a lot of impact for me. And I ended up coming around on it. I still really like seasons two and three. Um, uh, one Paris, of my favorite things. Eh. Yeah, I'm with you on that, 100%. Until the Lawrence Fishburne-Mickelson yes. confrontation mm-hmm. that happens, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like, whoa, oh, what a fucking good scene. We should probably uh, go back and
0: do Hannibal next year. <laughs> we should do Hannibal next year.
2: Uh, but, but, but but the other thing, so, so I think you're totally right, Rob, that that is the case with Twin Peaks. Like, you have that first season to be like, oh, this is revelatory. Season two, oh, this is... Yeah, we've been here already. Oh, you're not subverting yourself the way you were subverting the, uh, the the soap opera or the crime procedural. But there's another thing with season two, which is, which you're about to hit and have not yet hit. The team changes. Frost and Lynch leave. They go off to work on films. And for half of this season, it is uh, uh, Harley Payton and... Uh, there's another major lead who I'm always who I always forget the name of. Uh it's basically, Engels, Robert Engels and they're Harley Peyton. Hmm? They're brand new. They, they did, were in the writing team. Yeah. They were like in the writing room but they kind of took over like kind of as showrunners and it shows. Mm-hmm. Um and it shows how it shows how loose the thing was to begin with or how close to the edge it already was, right? Like, you've hit some things in season two already that are them incorporating tropes without being critical of them. Like, there's, like, immediately yellow face. Like, a white actor playing a Japanese role. Mm -hmm. Or playing... It's complicated because it is not playing a Japanese role. It is a white is specifically actress. specifically
3: using using a, disguise. a Japanese identity as a disguise. Yeah,
2: and it's like, shitty, and it doesn't work, it, and it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's not critical of it. And so, like, immediately starts playing into those traps or, like, playing into those, those tropes, and it falls into traps. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it only gets worse from there. It only gets more boring from there. It only gets more outrageous and not in fun Riverdale ways.
3: Yeah. Um, but season one... Um, I think is it was such an interesting first like experience of a show because it had you know there's so much built up around it and I watched it pretty much alone for the most part except for you know getting to talk about it on the podcast first uh, after the first couple episodes and so except for actually the occasional me like DMing Austin like yo (laughs) You did not tell me this shit was about to go down. Um But I think that having the 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 juxtaposition of this like magic realism next like in line with the sort of more tradition like having these like really intense, like surreal scenes. And then the next scene is like them walking into like the police station. Right. And it's like back to like no big deal yeah and it like that shit was like really really good for me like it was really really strong because I felt like there was like the sense where you you had to keep moving through like there was there was a job to be done like there there was no time it was like there was such a tension with with the case at hand and like how pressing this was for the entire community that there was like no time to really dwell in that sort of like surrealism and like everyone's acknowledging it it's going on and it's like there's almost like a confidence in the fact that like as they progress like more will come to light about that sort of stuff um which that confidence I think lends itself to the viewer a lot and in, in having a confidence in their ability to bring that stuff to light as well at least in the first season
1: there's a couple things like is something that it only dawned on me like halfway through the season was how compressed the time the time frame was that like mm-hmm. it really is in some ways leaning into this like detective procedural model of much of this season is like the first 72 hours after the discovery of uh, Laura Palmer right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that sort of started to dawn on me like the like when they whenever they return to the police station natalie i'm glad you sort of singled that out because to me it always feels like there's a tonal shift that happens like the characters Mm -hmm. exit one world and go back into like the tv world it's a weird thing but like oftentimes the police station itself is shot like it's lit differently it is shot differently it looks more like sets uh just everything feels less organic to the point it's jarring but also it really drives home i think one of the things that is a recurring theme of this first season which is that twin peaks in its first season at least to me and you can you can sort of tell me what, what you think of this reading but to me this is all about like liminal spaces in mm-hmm. in this world that the, these there are all these spheres that have been carved out within this community and there's people who travel between them, there's people who who move between them, the borders are porous but there are different realities that are kind of happening side by side in this world and it is I don't think it's necessarily about reconciling those realities to a degree they're ir- irreconcilable but one of the journeys that happens over the season is uh, at least through the eyes of uh, you know, Agent Cooper the realization that this is a weirder and stranger place with more going on than it seems and not in the typical like uh you know detective story it's a small town with a dark secret there's there's more than here more here than meets the eye mm-hmm. but I'm also talking about the degree of like hidden agendas uh the fact that the town may or may not be haunted and yeah. people are aware of it like and all those stories seem to inhabit Slightly different modes of storytelling, even. It's a it's a strange thing.
3: Well, I feel like it's it speaks so so much to like being able to characterize all of the different relationships that are going on because there are so many people interacting with each other and are interacting with each other on different levels that complicate other relationships and to be able to characterize them in settings, in moods, in like the like ambiance of of the scene itself I think is so crucial to like making sense of like the way those relationships feel and also to be able to identify what level they're on. Mm. Because being able to kind of move up and down throughout like this sort of like liminality and then the sort of like m- like magical surrealism spa- sphere and then also like the grounded like real TV um, level to move between those and to feel yourself moving between those I think is really important to keep the the uh, like the audience the viewer grounded still because I feel like it could be so easy to lose someone in that like silliness or in like some sort of arbitrariness where you don't feel like, like people where here, you're moving has a purpose yeah
2: like in a, in a very mundane sense you mean yeah. like a purpose in the sense of like like Part of this is just it has the map of a of a of a soap opera, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, who's Bobby Briggs? Okay, well, okay, so here's Bobby's relationship to Shelly. Here's Bobby's relationship to Laura. Here's Bobby's relationship to Leo. Here's Bobby's relationship to his own father. And then each of those spirals out in in another network. And they don't. There's the risk that they move through that stuff only in terms of magic, only in terms of like, ah, uh, Laura was was moved by something dark and mysterious inside of Twin Peaks.
3: Like, or only in terms of like plot development. That's
2: right, totally. But but also like Bobby wants to make a lot of money, and yeah. so he ends up being involved in drugs. Yeah, right. Like it isn't it isn't tied to the haunted past of Twin Peaks at certain points. Like it is just tied to like normal everyday shit. People are stressed about tests. Mm-hmm. People are are you know trying to their figure out relationships how relationships are falling apart. Yeah,
3: get out of. Twin Peaks onto, like, a bigger world. Totally. Like, their husbands are coming back town. into their yeah. lives
2: or leaving or or whatever it is. And then also sometimes someone gets weird superpowers. Yes. <laughs> that, that Does that not happen in season one? Well, uh, arguably, does it? I mean, I don't remember. I mean, is remember. Cooper. What, like, what is up with Cooper? No, I, there is another thing that will happen in season two, Rob, that is so much goofier. <laughs> that it is, like, someone straight up gets super strength in season two. And it is a bit. And it is a small... It's it has so...
3: Oh, wait, are we talking
2: about... No, wait. We're talking about... We'll talk later. Okay. It's weird. And so I think that's part of it is it loses some of this blend that we're talking about is strong. Because... It also brings characters, and it hasn't happened to you yet, but, like, characters will just leave Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and, like, get pulled out of that soap opera and yeah. into new different soap operas, in a sense, and it, yeah. it's weaker for
3: it. Yeah. I think that the change in season two into just w- wanting to complicate things without, like, really, like, grounding those complications in uh, having, like, a significance and just, like, leaning into wanting to be weird and strange without having substance behind it is really, like, where I get lost because the superpower thing that I'm thinking of yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was We're saying. looking at the same person. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why? It's weird. What? Why? Uh Rob, I want you to get there so that we can talk <laughs> about it because it's so. We'll funny. talk
1: about it in in 2019 or in 25 yeah. years.
0: Um. It was strange, right? Because like the like where like Lynch's career goes, like you would mm-hmm. almost never argue that. Yes, you can. I think mischaracterize his work as just being he's just weird, but it's like no, there's always an intentionality behind the surrealness like there there is me and like i fell off season two to the point of losing all interest even going into season three like the reason i rushed it the reason we skipped the back half was because i just don't literally have time to watch that in yeah. order to be there for like the cultural moment of season three got to the end and was just like almost nothing of what i liked about season one was in se- is, uh, is in season two. In fact, it felt like in some ways it was like a a parody of season one. That's a little too yeah. harsh on what it is, but it just it got it more like oh. What I realized was like oh, I think season three is really just f- it's probably going to be for the fans. And I got I rushed through season bit... two and was just like ah. Uh, I mean, I'll still get to it. Like it's on yeah. my list. But whereas I thought I was going to the end of two, whereas I felt at the end of one. And be like, all right, like where the fuck is this gonna go? I got to the end yeah. of two and just went,
2: okay, okay. You, Patrick, as a fan of horror movies, you. Should I know, watch I know. Fire- I have heard there is no, just, or seen... uh, not even the series, not even season three. Firewalk with Me Alone as a standalone yeah. thing, yeah. that is telling a story you already mostly know, right? And also has David Bowie in it briefly, and yes. Chris Isaac and Kiefer Sutherland are in that movie. It's it is. So like speaking to that idea of like liminal spaces, the feeling of different places in Twin Peaks having different atmospheres and mm-hmm. different lighting. Firewalk with me is that pushed to 11. And then Twin Peaks Season 3 is that that is the entire series because the bulk of it does not take place inside of Twin Peaks. It takes place in other settings that feel like they – like different rules apply from the point of like – from the way characters interact with each other to almost the rules of logic and physics. Like and and the ways in which those spaces are represented through lighting and set design and camera work where like things just go – really wild both in the supernatural sense but also just in the filmmaking sense and like season one season three season I don't know that season three is for the season three is for the fans when the fans are like me right Uh, and like certain things from the show But, but it is not it is like super not the like, oh, I love going into the, into the police station. Yeah. I, I, I did not mean to imply there. it was for pan. Like it was, a, it's, no, I know, I, I know I for even, that it's not a pandering. I don't even season. mean, I don't even mean that in a pandering sense. Like I think there's a, you can really watch twin peaks and be charmed by the characters of twin peaks. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. the soft jazz is playing. And like, that is not a, I don't think that the people who like that don't get twin peaks or something. It's not just, just aesthetic. It's no, not just it like isn't. to be kitschy. It, it means something to people. And I think that that's fair. Um, Season three, like that, Angela Badalamenti score, that like soft, easy jazz, does not exist in the show. There are scenes that are hard to watch because there isn't a the little patter of the brush, the brushes on the drums. Like it is meant, it makes Twin Peaks feel weird. I think there's a reason for it. I think I think that there's like there's a purpose there, but it is it is a hard season to watch, even after season two, which is. A hard season to watch, yeah. but it's hard in a different way. And I, I'm like so excited for y'all to get there eventually yeah. because it is it is fascinating all the way through.
3: But there's still, I think the difference is, like in season one and in season three, as you're kind of alluding to, there is like almost like a skeleton underneath yes. that you feel like you ha- there is a stability there. Yeah. And season two just feels so careless and unstable okay. that it's like a disservice to i think like the potential that season 1 built
2: it's um super frustrating because they did not want to solve the murder as early as they did and studio or uh uh network pressure made them solve the crime of who killed Laura Palmer early in season 2 mm-hmm. and, and then you
3: have 10 disaster 12 more 12, episodes. The bulk of
2: the season is the remainder of that season. Yeah, yeah.
3: which is yeah. like, I'm on the cusp of that, like, of that transition. And I just don't understand, like, whose story is now going to be told. It's um, so weird. It's
2: so. Have you met Billy Zane? Billy Zane is in season two. There's a whole. I haven't
3: met Billy Zane, no. <sighs> Man.
1: So, I mean, I think one of the things I do want to single out here from season one, though, is that. It would have been very easy, I think, just to make the first season about the unearthing of skeletons in the closet and watching them all blow up under people's feet, uh, bl- like watching landmines blow up under people's feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to an extent, it is. But I think one of the things I really enjoy in this first season is that, with the exception of a couple real shithead characters, um, God, what's uh, uh, the drug dealer trucker abuser? Leo. Leo, 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 fucking Leo. With the Leo with sucks. the exception, like Leo yeah, sucks. Leo's somebody like I want to like if there's an episode of that dude getting torture killed, I'll watch it. Uh, but in terms of most of the other characters, like even a piece of shit like Bobby, yeah, who is fr- predominantly a pretty evil character uh, in, in a lot of ways, even he gets a moment like at the funeral. Where Mm -hmm. they're doing sort of the the oration and they're talking, you know, they're doing the standard, like, you know, death of a young person in a close-knit community boilerplate service. And he finally just, he just cracks. He just cracks and unloads. And, you know, he gives that speech about, like, look, we all knew. We all knew that she was in trouble. We all knew something was going on and nobody did anything. Uh, And... The fact that even a character that I think in a lot of ways is unredeemable, like he does things that I find just unforgivable, uh, even before the series begins, but certainly as the series evolves, like I I don't find Bobby particularly redeemable. Uh, nevertheless, like even he gets this moment where to an extent you get a flash of a decent kid who if things have, you know, broken down di- you know, what I mean, still had the uh-huh. who capability. Who has like a humanity,
3: empathize. yeah, who has like Another dimension to them. They're not just the bad guy. They're not just you know, the the you know the mean bully kid. Like all of these characters have like multiple dimensions to them that make them feel like you're you're pushed and pulled with them Mm -hmm. constantly, and you don't ever really land somewhere until. Like kind of, and I think you're you're kind of still left again in like a liminal space with where you land with with a lot of the characters. It's just like you don't really know yeah. where well, you want to finish with them.
1: The other character that I I was really heartened by was Nadine because at first I think Nadine comes across as almost like you know how sometimes Cohen brothers movies have like almost stock archetypes who appear and their purpose is to almost be ridiculous and to sort of make the whole world feel as if it exists at a Dutch angle. Yeah. Nadine feels like that with the like the entire subplot about the blinds and the silent runner. Yeah. On the blinds?
2: Uh-huh. Uh like that is oh, a I char- got bad news I got bad news about season 2. If you're about to say that you love how Nadine goes in season 1 that they make her feel like a person,
1: I well, OK, they they might. OK, maybe they undo, maybe they hit <laughs> whatever the whatever on progress
2: that. they make, they they undo it. And then yeah. somebody. But <laughs> within but
1: within the but within this season, I yes, do like yeah. that. Like there's this moment where like, you know, you look at Ed and you're like, dude, you got to go. Like you are like this ship is going down and like this is your life. You need to get out. You need to move on with your life.
3: And, and go marry your fucking other high school sweetheart who seems you guys seem like you got a nice thing going for you. Yeah.
1: And the fact and then Nadine has that moment of like real lucidity where she kind of has like almost an outside perspective on like, look, like she knows that she's not easy to live with, right She knows, and she sort of like has this almost outside perspective on like the degree to which she is dependent, and there's an element of like this feels manipulative, this feels oh, yeah. like like in- like emotional entrapment, but it is also very played very sincerely by her and it makes you sympathize with like why actually this is a hard decision for ed right like why he like why he feels that he has to protect her from the reality of like what their marriage actually is um and it's it's a heartbreaking moment and it's a moment that i was worried this character would not get when -hmm. she was first introduced uh, and I was really pleased to see the show kind of make a move like that in, in the first season. I'm bummed here that apparently they, uh, they, they, Dude.
2: uh. It's, it's very funny. It's
3: like, so you could not guess it. In a million years, you could not guess what happens. I want, could you get, could you just give she us a She gets super guess?
2: strength. But why? And what she do with it? Cause I want to tell you the super snake is not she the weirdest like with part it? with the super. Stank. Oh my God. I forgot how she was. Okay.
1: Now like, does that have anything to do with the, with the, with the elk head?
3: The one on the table? Yeah. No.
2: no. Okay. Damn. Are you like, oh, she got elk power. That would be amazing.
3: <laughs> can I watch the video?
2: I just, I just solved. I just solved.
1: Wa- <laughs> I'm going to my YouTube. Twin Peaks can season can two we- explained.
2: <laughs> Should we spoil what happens with Nadine?
3: Do you want to know?
1: Fuck it. Let's do this.
3: Do you want to know? Yes, okay. I do. Nadine. Yeah. She Okay, so at the end of season 1, she, you know, tries to take her own life. Uh, she in season 2 open, she's in a coma. <sighs>
2: she's in a coma.
3: When she wakes up from the coma, she has reverted to her senior year of high school self but super sane. So she's- Super
2: strong, you mean?
3: Yes, what right. did I say? You said
2: sane. <laughs> you said super sane. I thought you said like super
0: saiyan. I super was like, saiyan.
3: Okay. <laughs> That's yeah. what I heard. No, I thought you meant sane. Yeah, no, she is super no. saiyan. You Super saiyan. 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 Okay. Yes, Yes, yeah. yes, yes. She's super cyan Nadine. And so she is like in handcuffs in the fucking hospital bed. And she's like, Ed, We need to go to the prom or whatever, and she fucking breaks the handcuffs off. And then Ed's like, "Huh?" And then there's this whole arc of she. The episode that I just watched is like Ed trying to enroll her in a class for high school. and this guy and the fucking principal's like, "What? How am I supposed to let a thirty-five-year-old woman in fucking PE class and with super?" And Ed's the only one that knows about superpowers right now. But uh it's fucking weird. And she's like there's so like she a of So she like freaky. She gets in
1: like a solo freaky Friday thing.
2: Dude,
3: she goes We're
1: back
2: like... to school, she falls in love. She is super strong and super horny.
3: She's okay. so horny. She okay. She's like con- she's super, super like acutely aware of like And and sometimes it's like a paranoia but of of like men's gaze on her Mm -hmm. of how she's being received of how she's like being like uh, uh 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 perceived by the people around her, and she's she like vi- she gets very into the way she looks, the way that she's presented. It's like right. But super, so what you're super saying super is meticulous. she becomes
1: like an expression of the effect the persistent uh, panopticon panopticonic <laughs> nature of the male gaze. Uh-huh. Uh The the impact it has on Ex-
2: a the the the, the child bec- that becomes the woman. Except that but, she's she's they've inverted it right because in yeah. fact the men are looking at her in disgust. Yeah, and she's interpreting it as desire. Yeah, and so then, in order to fulfill that desire, changes herself to meet that that perceived desire, which is still caught up in some sort of ideal. I know you object. guys are selling
1: me on this. Like, think of like think of all the in this. She joins essays, the wrestling team. You she joins get get
2: the wrestling team. She's really strong. Okay. Um, you wish well. it
3: was what you wish it was. That critique. It's not. I it, will say it. There is- For now, oh. at least as far uh, as I am right now, she hasn't started doing the thing where she's like, as far as you're saying, Austin, of like like adapting herself and things like that. It or not like interesting.
2: She's just, she's that's, just you'll see.
3: That's the thing is it doesn't feel like it's saying something about Nadine as a character. Right. It's like Nadine has gotten these, like, it's like they had a fucking hat. And they're like, "All right, what stats am I about to put on this fucking?"
2: <laughs> Plus three strength to Nadine. Hell yeah, yeah! it's
3: like they fucking did that fucking D and D RNG yeah. fucking randomizer yeah. on Nadine, and we're Season like, two's "I guess." A fiasco
2: campaign. A hundred
3: percent. Yeah, it's
2: great. I love it. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's except I hate it. So what I'll say is, there are some characters who get better treatment than that. Um, the arc of Bobby Briggs is fantastic through the entirety of the show. Like. Um, one of the the characters who I think they do justice by, both in season two, and then in season three, um, in the return, um, cool. th- there are stuff there that does work. It's just uh, it's Twin Peaks, which means it's rarely the women in that show who, mm-hmm. who are treated well, or or who get satisfying resolution to their arcs. Um, I, but at the same That's time, cause but at, but at the same yeah. At the same time, the show is fundamentally about Laura and Laura's trauma and that stays true to the very, very, very end. I would love in a year to talk to, to to y'all about the ending of this entire show because it recenters on Laura's trauma in a way that I think is very effective and in a way that undercuts your hopes as the audience without undercutting hope as a thing fundamentally. Like your hopes for how things will go are run up against what hope should really be and that is an interesting – dilemma Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah keep watching um, that show please i want to talk to more about y'all and more about it and also just get at least get through we should do sometime next year do a firewalk with me yeah uh uh waypoint yeah or not even a waypoints but be good and be good and rewatch it at some point because it is that what it is a strange movie and i'd love to hear your perspectives on it
1: just Also, let us uh, pay homage to Natalie's immortal Discord message, Leland Got Norted,
2: um, which I gather was from the end of the season. No, that's from uh, Kingdom Hearts. Leland is a Kingdom Hearts cat. Leland is- Have you
3: played that game?
2: You play Kingdom Hearts? (laughs) We were just talking about it at lunch. Leland Got Norted.
3: They're coming out with the third one.
2: Great. Yeah, there's only there've I've only heard, been I've, two before. This is the third one. There's only two games, I've nothing
3: else. And then now there's a three. Because that's how video Give games work. David
0: Lynch all the cutscenes to Kingdom Hearts and just let them cut it together.
2: Please. Please. Disney, please. I need to see David, David Lynch's, Lynch's Kingdom, Kingdom Hearts. Hearts. <laughs> Right. It's already very close. Like the mythologies are not mm-hmm. that dissimilar. Sure. Yeah. Why not?
3: We just spent an entire Heartless? lunch trying to figure That could th- be a concept from
2: Twin Peaks. Nobody's. Yeah, all that shit. Totally. I well, can make well, it happen. Yeah.
3: While Otto we contempl- is having
2: a revelation in the corner <laughs> went yo wait.
1: I think we can all have that revelation uh, as we take a break to contemplate uh David Lynch's uh Kingdom Hearts and then we'll hear an ad and we'll be back with uh, our second segment. Alright, uh, so one of the other things that I think we wanted to revisit, we, we listened to a lot of really great, uh, sort of sociological true crime podcasts, I, I guess is the, is the way I almost, I almost put them. Uh, but one of the real standouts this year, and, and kind of coming out of left field, was USA Today's The City, uh, which I think it was you, Patrick, who put us on to it. Um, no, it was Austin. Oh, it right. was me. It was. It was, in fact, I just associated. I was like, Chicago, Patrick was into that. That would right? make sense, right? No, yeah. that
0: was this. That was this. That was part of Austin's pitch. Was like, yo, this podcast series is about Chicago. And it's like, all right, I'll listen to that past the first episode for sure. And
2: I'm glad you did. I'm glad I did because it is one of those shows that changes what it is a number. Or it doesn't change what it is. The story goes places you could not expect, but maybe should have,
0: right? Um, yeah. I would say, like, the fr- yeah, the first, first couple episodes are so different than, I think there's nine, ten? I can't remember how Something many it like goes to. But, like, where the first half is so different than the second half. Although, as, I think as we mentioned in a previous episode, it still finds a way to never lose the thread on the community whose story it's originally about.
1: Right. So, like, well, go ahead, Rob. And that's and just, to, just to set this up, so when we checked in on this, we really, I don't think, had gotten beyond that first layer of the story, which is that this is about Chicago in the mid of it, midst of its sort of 90s renaissance under the second Mayor Daley, uh, and the fact that as the city is basically renovated uh, extensively, massive amounts of debris are transported off these different work sites, and they have to be put somewhere. And this shady fucking operator... Uh, John Christopher builds this massive like just begins dumping debris and uh, broken concrete and rebar in this predominantly black neighborhood, uh, North Lawndale. And he creates like, I think, two massive piles of uh, shit. Uh, They're like six stories that are six stories tall in this neighborhood. It leads to a host of health problems, Uh, significantly diminishes quality of life. And the neighborhood tries to get organized, tries to get people to, to, tries to get the city, the authorities to stop the dumping and then eventually like get the shit out of here. And that's where the story begins. And that's kind of what I thought the entire podcast was going to be about, which was the story of this one neighborhood. It begins its lens
2: begins to broaden over
1: the course of the season and take in more and more of Chicago.
2: So that's, I think that's it's a great way to look at the the problems with cities in America in general. These the questions of the Chicago Democratic machine in particular, um, and and yet also, like you said, never loses sight on North Lawndale, the people there, the community there. But what it manages to do is show that like, all you can find communities like this that become a sort of like central locus, an axis on which everything else can kind of turn. So what begins as this guy is dumping shit here for cheap and is making money on it and is hurting people because the air quality is getting worse and is hiding behind kind of pedantic legalese. The, oh, oh, this isn't hazardous material. It's just material or it's not – trash or garbage. It's just stuff. It's
0: cla- it's, it's, yeah, it's pedantic classification. Right, in order, in order to, to find safety.
2: Escape. Ends up being connected into, very directly into things like the prosecution of local governmental leaders, the, uh, uh, the racial history of Chicago. Um, because what what ends up being revealed about halfway through the series, uh, and, and I'll get to why I think this works in a, in a really cool way in a second, or in a really smart way in a second, is that John Christopher is a snitch. John Christopher is uh, – uh, ends up being revealed as uh, uh, a key collaborator in a uh, operation called Operation Golden Shovel or something like that. What is it? What Silver, is it? Oh, Silver Spade. Sil- Silver, Silver Shovel. Silver Spade, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, uh, in which the uh, the federal government, it's FBI running yeah. that thing, right, uh, yep. is basically trying to clamp down on local politicians taking bribes. And uh, John Christopher is very good at giving bribes. John Christopher is very good at making those sorts of deals. And the thing that kind of comes out of this, one is there's a number of episodes that deal with the the uh, history of race and politics with the Democratic machine in Chicago, the ways in which, black folks in black neighborhoods have to like very slowly and very precariously worm their way into the system if they want any representation at all take bad deals, make bad promises like take as much money as they can get because they just don't have like familial wealth, community wealth participate in
0: the criminal machine that is the election process right. because there's no other way of accruing power except participate.
2: And not having power means that someone in some building that you've never met before is the one who decides whether or not the trash gets taken out on your block right? And so the show does a really great job of again centering that on the community but then it does become for a number of episodes this really fascinating almost crime town like show about the ways in which john christopher began to target uh on behalf of the fbi local alder alderman local p- politicians of various varieties uh in order to kind of not entrap them but certainly sting them into participating in bribery and taking money it's unbelievable and of course Guess what? Of the – I don't remember the exact number, but of, like, let's say the ten people who come down in this, one of them is white. The rest are black or brown, right? Uh, and and that is what the show continues to do throughout the course of the rest of the season is then it also pivots over to Houston and a suburb of Houston where, where uh, similar environmental injustice is happening. And it, it, but it constantly comes back to the community in a way that's great. Rob, you were hands Just above the, your head.
1: The FBI thing I thought was such a fascinating subplot because, one, FBI. this is a classic problem. With uh, like racketeering investigations where your CI still has to be running around doing criminal shit in or like in part because like this dude John Christopher nothing was going to stop him from trying to run a scam on anyone like there's this unforgettable right. sequence he's meeting his FBI handler. And he is oh trying God, to shake yes, down the, the restaurant joint. where they are meeting. Like literally, he's sitting there across the table from his FBI handler, and he's telling the waiter, "Like, hey, I don't uh-huh. get a pay. If I don't get a payoff, I'm putting a hand grenade through the window." And the FBI agents, like, "Uh, dude, I'm right here." And Chris uh, Christopher is like, "Oh, sorry, I for- forgot you were there." Mm-hmm. And it's left a little bit ambiguous. The FBI denies this happened for the most part, but. There is this sense that were they shield him were they shield him while he ran some criminal enterprises that were maybe not just things, but he's still kind of allowed to operate as a crook. In the midst of uh, him being a snitch.
2: Right. Well, then it wraps back again because even once – and this is, again, the thing that works so well with this is you just fucking see this community get it from every fucking side, man. You just get them just – they get hammered from the top with the mountain of trash and then and then they get hit again because John Christopher is seemingly allowed to continue to dump or at the very least isn't prosecuted. While this investigation
0: is going on. right? right? So, like, it's not, it's not just that, like, John Christopher is being a criminal and he is, uh, you know, infiltrating – Start, you know, large with black politicians who, surprise, mostly know other black right. politicians. And so it just ends up taking down a bunch of them, even though I'm sure that that cri- level of criminality is prevalent throughout um, other demographics of Chicago politics. Yeah. But it's like that with the show, like always comes back to is is that mountain and it keeps and what they going and it, and it keeps going, the mountain and they always make sure to center back and the mountain's not gone. And like those And even when it, it finally
2: does go, who gets to take when it the, away? Yeah.
0: <sighs> white. When, yeah, white when, John, when John Christopher wraps up the whole FBI, or when the FBI, I guess, with John Christopher was wrapped up, the mountain's still there. And the FBI basically says, like, not our problem. Like every agency involved. The environmental protection agency, like, or maybe not the EPA, but like some environmental agency comes through, looks at it, takes out toxic waste. But leaves the fucking like cement rest of the and land. Rebar. Everyone washes their hands of it and just says, well, not only did this community got exploited to begin with, but then when there was opportunities from every other angle, also exploited the community, and then just left them high and dry. And then that paralleled with the whole sequence. We're like, well, let's see what happens when a white neighborhood gets one of right. these dumps. And then it's just like the Daily Machine just... Cl- snaps a finger and it's has gone
2: there is there is you know even once it starts being taken away one of the points of contention is like oh white businesses get to be the the businesses that take it away until of course Jesse Jackson swoops in and makes it all about this, makes it all about, oh, how do I make it so that black businesses can do it? And, you know, that that is that is uh, one vector, I think, for trying to to find justice uh, in a society that is driven by capitalism um, and is is one worthy fight. But one of the things that the show does really well is it speaks to people in North Lawndale who are like, man, we don't care who gets rid of it. Why are you even... There are so many bigger things that are problems than your business connections, Jesse Jackson. And also, like you weren't here; you were not already fighting. We were fighting right. for this from the jump, and now you're patting yourself on the back because you got contracts for like two hauling companies or whatever. And it's yeah, like so Dick Durbin, good I think, coming yes. out at some point yeah. and
0: being like, "Yeah, like look, we're, we're fixing this. Finally, Where the fuck were you for the last here? ten years?" Exactly.
1: Well, I think just an interesting like background issue to this entire thing is the degree to which by and large cities government agencies seem entirely dependent on being able to subcontract out basic like services like what happens if somebody just leaves a pile of shit in your city apparently Mm -hmm. nobody has the equipment to just like deal with that on top of the normal like The normal uh, daily operation of running a city. And so there's this constant like where does a where does a John Christopher get his foot in the door every single every single neighborhood every single district has the need for some fucking guy with access to dump truck dump trucks and like bulldozers to like deal with this stuff. And if if you can't find that guy if you can't like just pay like if you don't have budget to pay off a contractor to deal with that. Uh, then it must be somebody else's problem, because otherwise, you know, there there'd be money set aside and there'd be contracts in place. So the EPA is like, yeah, this is a hazard. I don't, I don't have a truck. Sure. What, what do you want me to do? Yeah.
0: There's that. There's that whole sequence where you know one of the um, politicians that goes down. They're also like interviewing his son, who's you know trying to illustrate uh, you know some of the complications that his father went through to try and get to the position he was like, and the struggles that he did to try and accrue power and just financial capabilities in his area. I think, like, he's the one that, like, had to buy, like, a tr- a dump truck just so they could, Bill Henry like, take care. Yeah, Bill Henry. Like, yeah. he had to literally, the, the money he was getting, you know, through this corrupt machine, yeah, he then used sweeper. and applied to get a street sweeper because he could not, he did not have enough power to actually prioritize that neighborhood to get its fucking, you know, streets cleaned Well, it was, a, second, so spend, it was like,
1: a second-hand street sweeper that he bought yeah. from the city from that was the like city. Being, yeah. Being like being basically like sold for scrap and he bought it and he festooned it with campaign ship. And I think that was a really like the, the dump becomes like, I guess the name Mount Henry. Yeah. As kind of like the neighborhood felt it was his fault in the end that he was the one who'd sort of taken the payoffs to permit this and look the other way. uh, But one of the really interesting episodes is when they're talking to uh, his kid and talking about like how this was, at one point, kind of a leading activist for the black community in Chicago. And he has two formative things really happen to him. Uh, one is that his mentor gets gunned down. Yeah. Um, still unsolved as to what exactly happened there or, or who did it. And then the other thing is, in the wake of Harold Washington's uh, passing, he tries to use his vote to get a seat at the table with the machine And he basically Throws uh, The Washington uh, Predominantly black-led organization Under the bus and throws in with The old white machine politicians And that completely backfires They never give him that seat at the table uh, He's never taken seriously He is He's basically helped Derail a black-led reform Movement in the city And now he's Become kind of somebody who carries water for the machine. And at that point, he comes across as somebody who became completely cynical and just tried to go along to get along. But it's this story that recurs. like, And this is one of the things that I was sort of thinking about as I listened to this show. In the beginning, it's sort of framed as like the system failed, these, f- failed this neighborhood. This is why the system is so, so fucked up. But as I'm listening to it, there's another way to spin all of this, which is that it is the story of a system working very, very well. Uh To demolish black leadership at every turn. uh, First, by co opting uh, anyone who managed to achieve a leadership position. Then the FBI swoops in. And look, you know, the FBI agent in charge of the investigation, uh, who's apparently like an FBI legend, admits that, yeah, it it did make him feel uh, uncomfortable that the only people they busted basically were black representatives. But he was like, that's where the investigation went. And that's because. Right. And this is I mean, this is like the wire shit, right? Like you're doing the street level busts because they're easy because they make you look good and you don't you don't tackle any of the systemic problems. Uh, And then that's juxtaposed with, well, when the white folks want something. Uh, or when Daily wants something, it happens immediately and overnight, and there are no obstacles and there's no meaningful pushback. Me- there's that anecdote about Meg's field, Daily bulldozing it basically overnight and destroying the airfield. Uh, when he wants that dump out of the White neighborhood, he makes that happen with a snap of his fingers. Because everyone else in this, like any base of power that's not the Daily Machine, over the course of the series, you see is like weakened, shot through with you know informers, uh, or it's just demolished. And what it turns into is a whole bunch of neighborhoods who are kind of, like, going to the good king, right? Well, if we yeah. can just get the king's ear yep. and get th- get past these wicked advisors, uh, daily will take care of us.
2: Totally. Uh, and, uh, you know, going back to the notion of, like, the destruction of black leadership and, and local community, and it ends up being a situation where the the only play that seems feasible is to throw in, right? Is, like, you have to give up on resistance if what you want is to survive. Because that is, you know, one of the things we haven't spoke about here is like, this is children who develop weird coughs and parents who don't have the money to get those coughs checked out, right? It's people who lived their entire childhoods climbing that mountain or being around that mountain, leaving school, like very clearly going through a life where no one else in in other communities here, in white communities here, has to put up with that terrible air quality, with that as just being the backdrop. I said this when we first talked about the show, but the show also goes, you know, for better and worse... Some lengths to talk about how the the mountain Mount Henry ends up being a a uh, a shield for crime to develop, right? Like there's there's it occasionally kind of dips into the kind of broken windows theory of of social policing, but also there is a difference between broken windows and a huge pile of trash. Um, like literally, there is just in the middle of this residential community, there is just this huge pile of trash, which means that it is not safe for people in a in like a very simple way and i like i know this is a simple point but like those people then have to go off into the world and so when they do that their expectations for what is normal has been fucked up they've they often have come out with respiratory situa- uh, respiratory uh, illnesses that like you can't prove was due to mount henry right you can't be like well the EPA hasn't said it's one to one, so it's not like you're suing the city for anything, right? It's just people who have no power, except please, 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 <sighs> let this break our way. Like we'll continue to throw in with you and pulling out their ability to actually perform resistance, except for when they start going through, you know, the either through the already established official channels or through what who people who are effectively celebrity activists. Yeah. Does not ever result in them having power. Even going looking forward at the end of the show, it's like, well, it's been paved over. It's been, it has been. Sorry, my headset got weird. Uh, it has been paved over. It has been, you know, emptied out. But like, there's all this discussion about, well, what goes there next, right? What's supposed uh, to the go whole there?
0: arc of the Obama dude uh, library? Do you want to speak about that
2: <sighs> for a little bit? Because well, there's like
0: this. This is like the pivot to the end of the show. Yeah. Is like the last two episodes kind of dealing with like, well, what. Next, like even the, the you know the the removal of well, wait before I get there, I just, but you called it a pile of trash and it is a pile You're of right, trash, but it is not. But then, but, then, yeah. but I would just want just because of an episode in this show, in which when they do the tangent going out to Texas, yes. there is literally a commu- you know, uh, a black community that is devastated by the installation of an actual garbage yeah. dump that is put in there. That is part of a whole episode that we won't get into, but like where they statistically figure out how they are exploiting. Um, communities of color across the country um, to put across the country Um, it's super super interesting Um, but yeah the last couple episodes I deal with like where this is going and I remember listening to the episode that starts with like oh yeah and like the Obamas are looking for a place to put you know like his you know presidential library and I'm thinking in my head I was like I remember following that stuff I was like is it wow that'd be wild if like that's where that ended up with this story like That'd be interesting. And then just – they go into great detail about it and then just fucking punch you at the gut yeah. at the end. You know, and like c- potentially credible explanations for why the Obamas being from a different part of the city would go with the area that they went to. But really, it the arc is not so much about like what the Obamas did or didn't do as much as it continually sets up these punishingly depressing stories of celebrity-type figures coming in promising – dangling things in front of them only for it to just go somewhere else or the promise is so under delivered like the the whole like movie production studio that was supposed to go in there and then you know five years later it's you know just a press release that says oh we're still figuring it out at the end of the day there's just and at this
2: point the great hope right there'd been a moment where it was like oh they're gonna do movie production here cool like think about oh wow film culture Like every step, like from presidential library to movie production company to now, I think it's some sort of industrial factory, right? Which is what it started as years ago to begin with.
0: It's the it's the history of that neighborhood is industrial jobs. The the history of that neighborhood having problems is those jobs leaving, and so like the you know I think it's the alderman who's being interviewed at you know at the end you know trying to you know. It sounds like a guy that's like you know genuinely trying to
2: yeah, find but you can hear it in his voice that he is also like giving in. He is really well, he's giving in,
0: and like you can tell him trying to justify why yes. this is good or better. It may be good. It may be maybe not good. It may be better, but it's not necessarily good. And he, you can feel yeah. the bullshit coming through his teeth, even at even if there is no better case scenario for like what goes in there, and like it leaves. You know, this podcast in the uh, uh, in the context of, like, where Chicago is as a city right now is really interesting. So, you know, like, the last however many years, you know, six, seven years have been, you know, Rahm Emanuel, who is not going for a third term, um, he has been largely a disaster for the city of Chicago, who came in as a financial reformer and will leave as somebody that fucked over a lot of the uh, educational institutions of Chicago, which is, straight up bulldozing and closing down dozens and dozens of schools and the Laquan McDonald, you know, a whole fucking debacle. Like he leaves like a pretty stained legacy. And what's interesting is like, there's uh, I think the election for the next Chicago mayor is in February and there's not like a real like power base to take over. Like he is not handing the baton to someone. Mm. It is not clear where the, the power shift is happening next in the city. And I don't even say that necessarily because like I'm hopeful for where it goes, but it makes it interesting because Rahm sort of came in as someone that had big, he worked for Obama. Obama has a legacy in Chicago. He just kind of slotted in, barely won a second term. And now it's not clear where the city goes uh, from here. Um, and it's at least interesting um, that there is a power vacuum. And, you know, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily a good thing, but it is interesting to see having listened to that as this election is starting to kick off in Chicago, where that city goes um, from here is is going to be interesting. You know,
2: the other podcast that we listened to this this uh, autumn that was also about an American city and and its relationship in that case to crime, but also to poverty uh, and and race was Serial, uh, which we when we first checked in on it, we were like three or four episodes in, and we were talking about how. Much we, how much we enjoyed the way and, and that it felt like it was correcting the sins of its first season, moving away from the sort of uh, exception storytelling. The the, the story of uh, Adnan Saeed, who really quick because we're back here now, I can I can issue a correction. I previously said that I previously called him uh, Middle Eastern. Adnan Saeed is uh, Pakistani. Uh, and I in the episode we first talked about Serial season three, I'd said that that he was uh, Middle Eastern or Arab Arab American. He's Pakistani. Um, the th- that show continued to impress me this season. Um, you know, it, it instead of telling the story of the rare case where there's this deep mystery, but can't really, but doesn't really say anything about the American legal system. There's no real takeaways because everything is so out of the ordinary. They told a season of very ordinary stories uh, about prosecutors and about defense attorneys, about um, the you know uh, suspected uh, and and uh, alleged criminals and people already in the system um, uh, about. Uh, the I think kind of in the conclusion about a juvenile um, detention uh, center and someone who was moving through it who had been a, a key witness uh, and then kind of hung out to dry. Um, and I, I think one of the big takeaways or one of the things that, that it felt that felt interesting between both the city and serial is that both of them ended up feeling that they had a position and they were willing to take a position on these issues. Right. With city uh, with the city, it really does feel like they That show is advocating for its listeners to care about environmental justice, racial justice, looking at the ways in which infrastructure fails uh, or even uh, harms um, marginalized communities in this country. And with with Serial, like it literally ends with with uh, Sarah Koenig saying, like, here are what my these are the things that I would want to see. Like, I want to see a world with uh, more limited or, like, with reduced sentences, right? I, I want to see a world in which, um, you know, you, you actually protect witnesses if if witnesses come forward, right? Like, having specific policy recommendations was not something I expected from Serial, serial Season 3, let alone specific policy rec- recommendations that I felt were earned by the work done in the season because I was very skeptical coming in.
0: And I will say one of the things I enjoyed about the the city is that, um, especially as we live in an era in which it is, everyone's cheering for Robert Mueller, fuck Trump, but we have uh, found ourselves cheering for uh, the police authority, the FBI, the CIA in ways that uh, should all make us deeply uncomfortable. And one of the things that I think the city, if not uh, overtly, but as a sort of thematic through line of its storytelling was like questioning authority questioning like just because you see like 10 people arrested for you know blah 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 blah, blah like that's not the whole story you should wonder why those people are arrested you should wonder why they're all black you should you know, like like it over and over questioned the rationale of the police of uh the criminal authority in how they went through their jobs and arrived at the conclusions and why they made it there you know it may not have been uh you know podcaster-breaking character and, like, speaking to you, the listener, because there's a different format that the city was doing it. But it was accomplishing similar things to Sarah Kandic at the end of Serial, just straight out outlining those things. Um, I thought that was thematically resonant in the city, even if it was, like, presented not in a, a bullet point format.
1: I think those were both very different but extraordinary podcasts. I felt – I'm listening to them along with Crime Town, which I also think is a brilliant – uh, podcast but i think is that the is that one of the gimlet ones uh yes and it has it's um it's the one about providence rhode island uh about yeah. body cianci and the and, and the providence mob uh and it commits the crime it's understandable as a storyteller like even people in Rhode Island like love the colorful history of their state as as we know from from hanging with Danielle like even people like <laughs> even people from Rhode Island like take a weird sort of pride in how fucked up Providence can be and i think Crime Town is a great podcast but it also really begins to indulge its sense of what a colorful cast of characters this is what a um what a great American Scorsese-esque crime story this can be uh, in places. Yeah. In a way that I, I think it still finds a lot of pathos and does sort of bring home some of the costs of a city that's sort of let to thrown to the Wolves like this, but not in the way that, like, the thing that doesn't get told in Crime Town is, like, when Buddy Seancey is fucking off and uh you know staffing positions right and left with basically mob sinecures uh when he's basically kicking back to the patriarcha crime family the thing that's left out of that story is like what was the opportunity cost for that right like what were the services that yeah. got cut like who got screwed in this what neighborhoods were neglected in this crime town isn't really interested in that because it's primarily interested in the anti-heroes of its story uh, the thing I really enjoy about both Crime Town and Serial is they actually, they never do take their eye off the ball. Or the city and Serial, you mean. Yeah, sorry, the city yeah. and Serial. They never take their eye off the ball. They yeah. always have a sense of, here are the people getting harmed by this. And in the city, it's this, it's doing a good job of telling a specific story that reveals a ton about environmental justice and structural discrimination. Uh I think serial also just has some utterly breathtaking moments of capturing the degree to which the justice system is corrupt in favor of police and prosecutors. Yeah. Like there's a moment where like they are straight up lying uh, and changing their statements about why they stopped and frisked the, frisked the guy. They're just like oh, blatantly God. lying yeah. and everyone in the courtroom hears it and the judge is like, yeah, sounds good to me. That's probable cause. Let's let let's move on.
2: Let's keep moving. Yeah. Um, there is an arc in or two arcs uh, in, in Serial Season three that are worth shouting out. The first is uh, I don't remember the name of the person, but he is he has been kind of serially. I know there's a pun there. I'm not going for an apologies. But the at the on the the, you know, on the baton side of the law. Right. Um, he. Is constantly he's being at the point at which we we enter his story he is uh has sued the government has sued the the police oh, department character. uh and has uh, theoretically won some amount of money um and is being effectively stalked through East Cleveland which is a separate city than Cleveland but the all the stuff still goes through the same courthouse in Cleveland um and is being intimidated uh, is being threatened because he brought suit against them and and because he refuses to back off um and when you hear his story you know his story is is effectively that these people arrested him they brought him to the edge of of a tree line uh and told him fucking run and chased him down and beat the shit out of him right um and that's one of those things where it's like oh is that a thing the police do, says the, the listener who has never thought of the police in this way? Like, yes, that is the sort of thing the police do. There's a sequence where, where uh, it's the same guy, right, gets locked in the room. I mean, they do this multiple times. right? They, they determine that the East Cleveland Police Department, a thing that happens there is sometimes they lock a suspect in like what is effectively a changing room or like a closet for days and give him little milk cartons to drink, and that is it. And like that is it. We'll not give him uh uh, uh the, the phone call, we'll not let him see a lawyer. Um and then sometimes we'll just like release those people. Um it is it is mafia shit, right? Like it yeah. is truly bad shit. Um, and then those people have to go to court, and and those people have to go – again, the reason you do that, by the way, is so that you can wait until their bruises heal so that the lawyer can't take pictures, so that the bruises don't show up on photo, so that when – so that they cannot sue you for, for police brutality, right? Um, that stuff continues to happen. So that's one of the stories I think works really well. And then, and then it ends on the story of this, this kid named Joshua, who is who I was talking about before. Joshua is someone who – uh, becomes a state's witness uh, and provides a small amount of information. But it turns out like to some degree, it's not even an important amount of information. Neither of the cases that he testifies in hinge on his, uh, on his testimony. On one case, one of the cases ends up being thrown out for some reason. And the other one, they had a huge pile of witnesses and yet they chose to have him testify as a 15 or 16 year old, someone who is affiliated with one of the gangs in the city and therefore is like branded as a snitch going forward. And then they don't like they don't give him any sort of protective custody. They don't put him in a place where he can't be touched. They toss him to the fucking dogs, right? And that's not, that's unfair. I shouldn't say that because they toss him to a. What they do is they put him into a juvenile detention facility that is being poorly run, that is under resourced, that is mismanaged, that has people who care off to the side of it, uh, but but who but which is fundamentally operated by the the population of other young people there who are gang affiliated and who are willing to just hurt people right um and also what's what's good about the way that this stuff is handled is like they are not treated as dogs they you, the you know sarah does interview an, m- members okay. of the juvenile uh community there and each of them comes from a place and each of them is in a place and each of them seems like Even the ones who you know are the ones who ordered the internal hits, right? The ones who are telling people to hurt other people all come across as like vulnerable and desperately in need of some guidance and structure. Um, And they occasionally can get it from this like outside group of educators. But that is not what that specific uh, detention center is like. Uh, And it is just – it is the most nerve-wracking thing to listen to because you're rooting for this poor fucking kid who does things kids do. You know what I mean? Like and does things kids do inside of this space. Uh, but whenever he does anything wrong, it is tr- it is framed back to the court as if he was the exception instead of he was instead of him being the rule. And this is all comes in a certain context, which is which kind of is again in line with the city, which is. He is in a facility that has not been reformed. There had been this big reformation of the status of uh, juvenile detention facilities in Ohio in the years before his entry into the system. Um, But where he goes is one of the places where conditions had not been improved because it's for certain types of offenders. Um, And so it's not like it is is like 100 percent not a rising tide lifts all boats. It's like, hey, if you went to one of these facilities – Your life is a little bit better now. If you went over here, it's way worse because you especially don't get resources. You especially can't feel safe. Um, And those last two episodes are just, like, tear-jerking and very intense. Um, And I will say, like, if you're listening and are worried, like, there was a moment going into the second episode of that arc where I was like, I don't know what I will do if this kid gets hurt. And so I will say right now, he does not get hurt. There is not, like, things do not fall apart for him in the way that you expect. They fall apart in a different way. Um, uh, and even that ends up being used to pre- present a different picture, a broader picture of what the systemic injustice is at work there. Uh, but I was really impressed by it and, and really surprised. I'm curious what that team does next. Um, I think it was super important that one of the creative leads on this season or one of the pr- production leads was was a black man from uh ohio um and like that that helps contribute a lot to this to making sure that that felt grounded and real um but uh real in the sense of like the consequences were the right consequences it rarely gets gets into like the weeds on oh there's the mystery of this no like here's the stuff that happened here's why it should be concerning
1: i mean i would listen to like this is what serial is from now until the heat death of the universe i'm fine with that yep basically like i think this this stuff is important because like you know, one of the things that... I'm going I'm to reference again uh, The Wire, but in a different way. This is one of sort of David Simon's central theses, which is that to have any understanding of what is happening in a city, you need to conduct an in-depth investigation, right? Like, you need to actually, like, stay on a story. Uh, and you actually need to just, like, keep your eye on it and keep tracking the players and sort of, like, map what is happening. And if you compare what a season... like If you compare this season of Serial to probably what is uh, promulgated in the Cleveland media market on TV every night, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's night and day. Like Mm -hmm. local TV news, the police beat, police blotters are these litanies of shooting at this address. Police are police involved in, uh, you know, shooting here, investigating this, and it all gives this impression of the system is working it's functioning the police are doing their jobs crime is still happening the city is very dangerous uh nevertheless uh you know the authorities are on it and there is something so important about the way serial just sort of holds that mirror up and is like yeah let's look at the authorities let's mm-hmm. let's look at what that process is um and i feel like i think every city could Every city, every community could benefit from having that kind of mirror held up and that kind of right. investigation performed on like what its day to day is in its government and law enforcement.
0: Well, there's 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 extraordinary in the ordinary. I think is like what both of those podcasts like prove out pretty well. Is like you don't have to get serial season ones like wild out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting in and of itself, but that there are extraordinary stories like in everyday stuff that people would be shocked to learn about the stuff that's happening right around the corner from their homes.
2: And that they don't already is part of, is part of why it continues to happen there, right? Like yeah. what gets filmed, what makes the nightly news, who's suffering is the, I mean, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, <laughs> The other night I was at the dentist. um, yeah. And uh,
1: I was, they got the TV on at the news. And it was about this, the shooting in Boston where like the police just, Brought like did like chased a guy down. Uh, it was a traffic stop. They they hot pursuit, and the reporter used this language. The guy gets out of his car, and the police, in fear for their lives, oh yeah, just fucking unload. Yeah, and they mostly don't hit the guy. The guy is in the hospital right now, recovering. Uh, what they hit is a home. And they just basically Swiss cheese this, uh, this like family dwelling in a suburb of Boston. And what struck me was the way the reporter from the beginning framed this as like use the legalistic language that cops use to explain, like, why they fucking use deadly force when no person who isn't basically a coward, uh, would reach the conclusion that that is justified or necessary. Um, It struck me the degree to which, like, a lot of local news reporting already adopts the framing of the authorities. And, like, meanwhile, I'm staring at the TV like it's by sheer dumb luck they didn't kill this woman and her kid who were at Mm -hmm. home. Um,
2: But how would that story have been told? Right? Right. Right. Uh, You know, that man got them killed, Rob. Yeah. It's his fault. So, yeah, no, it is. It is. We have, you know, for me, if there's one takeaway for waypoints, looking back on 2018, it is one of the things we've hit again and again is the notion of political imagination and and the ways in which language and rhetoric and our own willingness to to seed possibility to establish frames should be shifted. Right, like let's dream bigger. Like in 2019, as we step forward, it's just like let's just like have. The willingness to take to take that step back and say, "Wait a second, are we falling into those default frames of reference? Are we falling back, like you said, into the sort of sorts of terminology that the status quo already uses on its own behalf? Like at the very, they're going to keep using that that terminology. We're going to keep hearing, you know, police involved shooting instead of what things actually are. Um, and it, they're going to keep saying it, but make them say it yeah. every time that they say, it, we should say, the police killed someone, the police murdered someone, the police." You know, pulled out their weapons and shot someone to death. They killed them. This was not a a police involved shooting. The police weren't in. Police were involved in it in that they had fucking guns and pulled triggers. Uh, yeah. It is not a. It is not. If someone is going, you cannot let people use euphemism until it is normal language,
1: right? And we and we like and things like in fear for their lives, we need to always bear in <laughs> mind like, was that a justified fear? Doesn't I don't care what the legal justification is, but like in the story we tell, like when we actually assess what happened. Yeah. Was it justified for multiple squad cars of cops to feel in fear from their lot, for their lives by one dude who may or may not have been armed? Right. Anyway, uh, Austin, before we wrap this up, I hope there's a, maybe a little lighter of a note uh, we, <laughs> that we can wrap the, kick this year off
2: on. Uh, you, you, you had some letters, right? Uh, yeah, but I don't know that they're. Do you need those to be lighter? You did those, okay? I got some stuff. That's <laughs> you didn't say anything about it being lighter. I you know, uh, I'll skip that. I one. mean, light, lighter is um, is relative. It is. Um, did anyone here see Wreck-It Ralph two? Patrick, did you see Wreck-It Ralph two yet? Did you see it yet? Cado saw. It. No, I.
0: <sighs> I really want to. I love... The first one is Spectacular. It's one of my favorite animated
2: films of the last I have a
3: plan to see it with my mom over Christmas.
2: Hell yeah. Well, here are some questions for you to keep in. And, and if you have answers back at home listening in, consider them in this moment. Diego says, what the fuck is up with Wreck-It Ralph 2? Uh, has anyone seen it? I'm still trying to collect my thoughts on it. Some of them are: one, the weird rumination about the racing that the racing game characters have about content, about gating content and player time investment. I'm curious. Two, the fact that there's a sketchy loot grinding website in the game and it ends up being portrayed somewhat sympathetically. Very curious. Very curious. Kado, is this stuff making Kado shaking shaking his head? Uh, the weirdly transparent and yet anything but critical explanation of platform capitalism that ends up constituting most of the plot. Yeah, Kato's nodding. Kato's nodding, and crucially, the fact that the movie essentially views the entire internet as a vessel for commerce and corporations. Is Tumblr not all? Oh well, Tumblr isn't. all also-, is also just Disney-friendly now, so that's. Oh well, I don't think there's ever been a movie where Disney has flexed the full horrifying strength of its brand power so much. P.S. The movie briefly f- features Sonic reading the Brothers Karamazov. Sonic, what? I- that makes me want to see it. I don't know. That makes me- Sonic's
1: Legend of the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah.
2: Yes. Exactly. Where? How do you think he got them legs? You know, Sonic's yeah. out here racing back and forth to the library carrying them books. Uh, Adam writes in and says, "Hey, folks! After watching the Spider Verse movie a few nights ago, I can't stop thinking about it. It is my favorite film of 2018, and out of all the podcasts I'm listening to, I'm most forward, looking forward to hearing or reading what y'all thought of it. Anybody see it yet? Thanks. Keep up the great work, Patrick. Did you see it yet? No. Am I the only all one? Animated
0: so- films. I. Have to- I- I, I have to punt on until I can watch with them kid. with my kid. I mean, this is this one. It's good. W2. I've I heard really it's, I'm so it. I'm so excited it's for
2: it. It's gorgeous from front to back. It is overwhelming. It is one of those things that I saw, and I was just like very happy to have seen it in a theater, very happy to have seen it mm-hmm. in a theater filled with people who are excited about it. Um, really, really funny. Um there is I've said this before about a, f- a few things here on the show um, you know we we did the the podcast on Black Panther at the beginning of this year obviously but there is something still really warm and cool about seeing blackness presented in the sorts of things that I would have loved to have existed in in my youth right like obviously Black folks have had have had a place in comic books for a long time. You know, I, I grew up uh, at you know, when I was growing up, Static Shock was on was on was on TV, which was shocking in, in its own way. Fuck, I did it again. God damn it! Um, it's something that could have started as kind of a, a, a small independent comic book could have gotten a cartoon was was remarkable. Um, but but seeing this and seeing some of the the stuff between Miles and his family, uh, Miles in general as a character is just. Like I like Tom Holland's Peter Parker a lot, but there is something about this Miles that feels way more of the moment. You know, the the, the film opens up with this very small bit of him listening to music and trying to sing along, but not really knowing. the Oh, I've seen really that clip. The words. It, it's so good. Fucking the mumbling he does it's is so, so, so good. perfect all the way through it. His relationships with all the other characters, um, not least of which is the kind of schlubby Peter Parker all of it is it is the best i felt about a marvel movie in years like i liked black panther but you know i left it with some some pretty heavy um not criticisms so much as like there were some there were some roadblocks for me being all the way in and that stuff is here too to some degree um, but there is something just so powerful about about miles portrayal his relationship with his father i mean there's stuff there that is just that speaks to me on this like deep fundamental level that that Got me excited about a Marvel movie in a way that even when I was enjoying Black Panther, even when I've enjoyed Home Spider-Man: Homecoming, there's just this little reservation. I'm still, it's like you, it's like I'm leashed back from actual full real enjoyment. And into the Spider Verse, like had me all the way, and I still have issues with it here or there. I think Kato and I have spoken about the the there's a, a Japanese American character named Penny Parker who is kind of rendered in this style that I don't. I, that feels like knockoff in a way the rest of it doesn't. Like there's a character named Spider Ham who is a what is a who is a spider who is bitten by a radioactive pig. Um that's played by John Mullaney and that is a send up or is it the other way around? No, it's bitten by a radioactive pig. hundred percent. But you said a spider. Oh, it's a person bitten by a radioactive pig? It's a pig. No, it's a it's a it's a spider ham. Other way around. It's bitten by a radioactive pig. A hundred percent. He's a pig to start with. Oh, it's a pig bitten by a radioactive pig? I think so. Where's the spider powers come in? i you. I'm 100% sure he's had a radioactive pig.
0: Peter Parker was born a spider simply named Peter. He resided See? in the what? basement lab See? of May Porter, what... a slightly goofy animal scientist who created, See? quote, the world's first atomic-powered hair dryer, hoping that, quote, the introduction of nuclear fusion in American's beauty salons would revolutionize the hair care industry. After dousing her head with water and activating the dryer... May Porker accidentally irradiated herself. In a fit of delusion, bit Peter, who then found himself transformed into an anthropomorphic swine, much like May Porker herself. See? Running from the Porker homestead, disoriented Peter soon came to realize they that he say that still retained a spider's abilities.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, the point is, that character is like a send-up to Warner Brothers cartoons, uh, Bugs Bunny, and the like. And so, in Porky Pig, obviously. And that stuff plays really well because it really does draw on the history of American mid century animation and, and uh, like that side, like Merry Melodies and stuff like that. Um, whereas the stuff with with Penny Parker is like trying to do the anime thing, but it doesn't. Re- it doesn't really feel like it's drawn from the same history of animation. It's up feeling a little tokenistic and a little like underdeveloped. There's like a, an emotional beat that doesn't land with her at the end. But other than that note, like I think that it it hits so many things dead on. The performances are incredible. It's visually, it is visually stunning, and I don't just. I, I do mean in the the emotional or in the like the gut visceral, like I am stunned. I cannot keep up with what is happening sense, but also in terms of uh, it, very striking composition, a very smart use of color. Um, you know, the creation of art is key to the film and, and the, the kind of like the artistic urge is key to the film. Uh, and so it does, it, it plays with that in really smart ways. Um, people should see it. It is, it is very fucking good. Um, so that's, that's a note from another writer. Or another reader, rather. Uh, Last one. Here's my last one. Uh, Jamsk. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Jamsk. I'm sorry, Jamskay, maybe. It's a cool name. I like the way it's spelled, J-M-S-Q-U-E. I wish I knew how to pronounce it. I apologize. Waypoints is a series with a focus on positivity, but I'm curious if there are any recommendations you made on the show this year that you now have reservations about, either because they were ongoing work that has since dipped in quality or simply because your opinion has shifted with time. My biggest swing of the year was on fighting in the age of loneliness. I was just as high uh, on it as y'all seem to be when you discussed it on the show, but I disliked the final episode so much that it soured me on the whole project. Anyone have anything mm. like that? I didn't finish that. Uh, I wish I had, but uh, and I, I will. I'm
0: curious. Now I, I'm curious what, yeah, where they fell,
2: why they fell yeah. off on it. Huh. Me too. Uh, does anyone yeah. else have one, though, that, that is something where you're like, aha, I loved this until now.
3: I know I do. Um... What I is just it? Can't, no, I just, can't remember. Oh, you can't. Well, I, know. I know I do. <laughs> I'm not telling anyone. Shoot, I wish
0: I, I wish I, I'd have. To, I need to go back and it. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I've said
3: some I shit. i I'd
2: gotten ahead. I mean, up on it, this. maybe the other side of it, Patrick. Uh, did you ever finish Channel Zero, the Dream Door? I did, yeah, I finished did Channel Zero. Did you get to that wild, uh, ridiculous uh, just, fight scene?
0: Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's. I still think the. I'm yeah, with i I still think it's, the show should have ended. I, in I'm with you, but I that would have been. I'm trying to think like. Like, I genuinely really liked Haunting of Hill House, but I have mixed feelings on, like, the way that show ends, um, but I don't want to spoil it. But, I, you know, there's – people who have seen the show will know that it has – it It doesn't do the thing you expect it to do at the end, and, and I wanted to like it more than the, the way it actually pulled it
3: hmm. off. I'm curious to hear uh, what you were talking about. Stop –
0: Stylistically, I don't like how that final montage was shot. Yeah, I don't feel. disagree with how they wanted the characters to land. It, f- I didn't. I just didn't like how it was yeah. shot, and so it, it had. A, I had a hard time buying what they were selling, and the whole time thought, "Oh, this is all a dream. This isn't actually what's happening." And so when it ended, I was just like, "Wait, mm. what?" But like, if you were to tell me on paper, "Oh, this is what's happening to those characters. This is how we're subverting how these stories usually mm. end," I totally think it's great and I liked it and that's where I wanted those characters to go even if I didn't realize that um, I just I just didn't like, like how it was shot and it was a show that I generally thought was like pretty um, uh, spectacular mm-hmm. looking
2: Rob, how about you? You Are you regretting anything? Nah like, No regrets But
1: I mean part of it is I mostly recommended one-offs Right, like I mean, I like wh- like I didn't have too many things where where I was like, this is something that is ongoing, and who knows how it will turn out. So, to a degree, I kind of did my waypoints with a safety net. I I think probably, um, I don't know the 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 thing that maybe I've um, I don't know, come around to the most is uh, no, no, I did great, I nailed it. Right. <laughs> you know, there is one that I uh, I always, mind. I
0: completely, uh, and this is totally on me for not shouting this out earlier, um, early in Waypoints we discussed a Planet Money yes. segment about like China's uh, like security apparatus and how they're monitoring people and it's super scary and like Planet Money totally fucking let us down on the reporting. They Like they worked with a Chinese reporter and that made me feel good about what they were doing. And the framing they used – the framing is specifically mm-hmm. the thing that they were using. Um, and there were people that pointed out that actually, like, yes, certainly, just like anything else, like, you know, the security state and where we're going is is scary and can be used improperly. But that actually a lot of, like, Western reporting on how this is in effect and how it would be used is actually pretty hyperbolic. Yeah. And that, uh, that, that I meant to – tol- that's totally my fuck up to not point that out earlier that – uh, I mean, that's my, I get you know, that is on me for not reading more on that, but generally that's been a podcast that has been very responsible. And so that's why I felt okay basing that segment on that. But uh, if you came away from that in the same way that we came away from that <laughs> piece, um, it's worth doing yeah. some wider reading on uh, why that wasn't the whole it's,
2: it's story. so It's so important to think about how that stuff ends up being framed because there's such a, a history of. Uh, Fear mongering around China. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a reason why we we have phrases like the quote unquote yellow peril, right? There's there's a whole lot of racist uh, presumptions that that go into the language used in stories like that, um, that often don't come from a very conscious place, but that no long, or, but but that no less uh, uh, addresses the effect that they have, uh, especially in an era where. You know, just scroll one story down on your feed, and what you will see is insurance companies in America getting excited about being able to use smart uh, speakers to hear whether or not you're snoring, so whether so that they can raise your rates, right? Uh, or or any number of similar systems. Uh, did y'all read that this week? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Illinois. Uh, speaking of Chicago, um, when they've been tr- there was a proposal last year um, as like with the advent of electric cars and more fuel efficient vehicles it makes things like the uh the gas tax less effective because there's less for you to charge and so there was a proposal to uh to more accurately gauge so that you could tax people more effectively was to put a device right. in your car that monitors how right <laughs> like your mileage and how you're driving because if people are using electric cars we don't actually know what the miles are and so like how are we charging those people got to get that and so like let's not pretend uh, like the moment stories are written about it fucking like every person that proposed it was like yeah i guess that did sound kind of creepy yeah. um so like let's not pretend there aren't like similar
2: proposals often happening uh, uh, with the market um, right like it is it is it is one of those things yeah. all right one more questions one more question i'm gonna let everyone go this one comes in from debbie who says uh my favorite i'm sorry natalie i'm sorry Cotto. Uh, you know what? I'm just I have a meeting to go to, so I'm just gonna read this, and then I'm gonna have to go because I have to CL. We, you know, before the year end. I have my favorite piece. You know, because like I, I have to figure out 2019 oh, yeah. stuff. And okay. can I come? No, it's me only. My favorite piece. Really,
3: of... there's not an extra chair. in No, it Says
2: from CL. Only you, Austin. Make sure Natalie stays for this last segment. Okay. Um, my favorite piece <laughs> of media this year was the. Kato, you also have to stay. Just to be clear. Because the producer, you have to make sure the audio is good. My favorite piece of media this year was the 2018 Chicago Bears season. Bear down. Let Patrick and Rob talk at length about this. They earned it. It says that you earned it. Uh, all right. I mean, Austin we did. underscore Walker, everybody. Uh, you know where to find me. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So,
1: Natalie, uh, for those of you who haven't followed the Bears in recent years, I think Wait, there's, a, there's a little the Bears, framing.
3: Um. What do they do? Where do they live? Which okay. forest? Great okay. question.
1: Okay, so fantastic. Let's start from the one beginning. One of the most storied franchises George in the George Hallis. NFL. Yeah. Uh, pretty much like NFL. created the NFL National, National League. National
3: Forest League.
1: Absolutely. Because uh, <laughs> that's where the bears came from. They just uh-huh. came lumbering out of the forest one day. Uh, brown and, bears? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, they're fearsome. Those brown okay. bears. Grizzlies? That... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they were coached by George Halas, uh, who uh one of one of the NFL's uh pioneers, also a legendary cheapskate. Um but the Bears are a proud and storied franchise uh with, with great chapters in their history. Uh because they're the best, uh, to be quite honest. Oh, okay. Um like every like what's good about football? Uh the Chicago Bears. I think everyone around the country would agree but in recent years the bears
0: They've have been,
3: been hibernating that <laughs> that
1: would be a
0: word for it i that would be yeah. better because if they just didn't play that would actually be like a better situation than after to the last like i ten would years, basically all
3: the salmon and the berries mm-hmm. and, and the bugs and they got too sleepy to and play and sleepy and then now they woke Jay up. Jay Cutler
1: looked pretty sleepy. Uh, toward Toward the end of his tenure, uh, he looked he looked pretty sleepy. Uh, yeah, I mean it's Patrick. Like, I came into this year, I was so done with the Bears. Uh, I think I even pretended during that opening game against the Packers that I was not watching it. Like I was like, I'm not going on social media. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this myself. I'm mm-hmm. not going to mm-hmm. do the public performance of someone who gives a shit about this awful fucking team. Mm-hmm. But then something magical happened. They're a great fucking team.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> I went to the Super Bowl once. My my dad, as I've mentioned, worked for the uh, for Riddell. They were, you know, built football equipment. And I never went, even though my dad went every single year. Um, and the one year I did go, um, because my mom didn't want to go with my dad, and my dad was tired of going, and he was like, "Just come with me." And so we went. And it happened to be that one year. Uh, Was it, uh, not 2012, uh, was it 2010 when they went to the NFC Championship, Rob? And make the NFC Championship, it was like the one year where Jay Cutler just put enough fucking together with a a really great defense, and I was going to that game. I was going to go watch the Bears win the Super Bowl. And instead, the Green Bay Packers beat us in that game. Caleb Haney made a a valiant effort, Uh, but I had to go then to the Super Bowl and watch the Green Bay Packers win a Super Bowl. I think
3: I like the Packers.
0: My face. They're a really good – they have Aaron Rodgers. Now's a good time to get on the bandwagon, Natalie. It. Um, yeah, no, if you wanted to – yeah, yes. I mean, he is the greatest like,
1: quarterback of his generation, uh, leads the league in uh, not throwing interceptions. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's great.
3: I entered, I entered a football – a Super Bowl um, betting thing when I was like eight. Okay. And I put, like, I don't know, $25. No, I put, like, $5 in. And I won, like, $350 because I guessed what the Hell, end yeah. score oh, the, the and score? who was going to win. And then I bought wow. my first iPod Touch. So <laughs> no shit. That's a really then, good story. I was like, eh, the Packers, they were right. I don't know. They gave me a fucking iPod Touch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, sorry. You said the Packers?
3: Yeah, Green Bay.
1: <gasps> Wait. So it was that Super Bowl?
3: Yeah, the Green Bay. The Super Bowl so I we went are to all Super bound Bowl which by you fate. Bet won- we are bound by fate. I was like...
1: <laughs> we don't need to know how old you were, Natalie. Um, it doesn't bear... Doesn't bear thinking about or ref- reflecting on. Uh, I, I assume you're were, you're were just mid twenties, uh, same as the rest of us, uh, and <laughs> it was uh, not that long ago at all. Um, pretty recent history, in fact. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has been. It's been a year one where I've come face to face with the depths of my hypocrisy when it comes to football. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah.
0: Well, Austin had to do the same thing last year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the problem. Football fucking rules. It is institutionally corrupt. It is built on systematic exploitation. But when football is good, it is one of the best goddamn things in the world. And when your team is good, when your team that you've been acculturated to adore for decades, uh, like – the bear, like my Sundays in the fall for years depended on how the bears did. And mm-hmm. now all of that investment is being paid off. And I have an idea of what it must have been like for my parents' generation to like live through 85. We're not nearly as dominant a team as the 85 bears were, but like, no. oh, football can be fun. Because for my entire lifetime, Natalie, Sunday yeah. afternoons are mm-hmm. for... Having a slow motion anxiety attack, mm. followed by a plunge into despair and regret. Mm. Pretty much, I think that's. And then
0: six, and then six months where you talk yourself back into doing <laughs> it all over again.
1: But I, I, I'll give myself this: I basically punched out during the last few years. Like the Bears were such a shit team. I, wa- on I watched.
0: I watched, inten- I watched the, the, the first Trustman year very intently, checked out of most of the second year of Trustman watched intently of the first year of John Fox. I convinced myself that John Fox was like
1: a, little a bit. culture creator. That didn't
0: last long. Um, No. Um, And I don't think I watched like the last... I used to pride myself on... It's irrational. Like, no, if you're a real fan, you're going to watch start to finish each of these games, especially when they suck. Because... Those motherfuckers with good teams that are consistently good—that it's fun, you enjoy yourself—they win things. You don't fucking understand what it's like. You don't appreciate any of it. So I need to grind it out when I'm getting blown out forty-two to ten, and watch it till that fourth quarter expires, and finish drinking that shitty beer that you yep. bought.
1: But hopefully, and you know who knows what's going to happen uh, with these playoffs, but hopefully. Uh, Pat, like it's already been one of the most entertaining years of football uh, of my life. Uh, basically every Sunday, Patrick and I are just texting frantically back and forth, living and dying with this fucking football team. Uh, and
0: yes. I'm, t- I'm, I'm messaging with Rob on Sundays as though I'm in a, like a, like a new relationship <laughs> yeah. with someone that I just can't quit them. It's hey, baby, like literally every 30, every <laughs> thinking about you. How, I mean, honestly, how you feeling? Yeah. Like, mm, how you feel about this drive? How do you? you see that pass? Did you see where his shoulder you, you went? You see Khalil Mack
1: like, bring Rogers down with his ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm excited. Hashtag Club Dub. Yep. I'm in. Let's go Bears. Bear down. Let's. Well, let's. We'll let's remove Natalie and they from this torment.
1: Yeah. Ravens. I look. This was.
3: Cotto says this go was Ravens. worth it to
1: learn. See,
0: Cotto's had a good team. To Kato, enjoy. is that your team? What? That's cool. Like Ravens the, are the great. The Ravens are fun. Hell yeah! Lamar Jackson is a super fun uh, uh, player to watch right now.
3: Doesn't know names. Okay. He's
0: the He's the. He's the. The, the quarterback that came in because Joe Flacco, the guy who won you yeah. a Super Bowl. We'll see Bowl. how it
1: goes. His no, back doesn't work anymore. Wild. Yeah, uh, but yeah. So Natalie, uh, definitely get on board with the Packers. Um, Good just time to get invest out. Invest all your emotional energy in Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's not going. To I let saw you down. his
3: brother on The Bachelorette.
1: The brother he hate who hates him. They don't like yeah. each other. That Do was you the talk whole about drama. How much Aaron Rodgers sucks.
3: Yes, it was such a Fuck. drama because when yes. she went for hometowns. Okay, so basically he got to like the last three. If you get to like the last, if you're in the last three, you get to go to hometowns. Which you bring the bachelorette back to your hometown, but the whole drama was that she wasn't going to get to go meet Aaron Rodgers because they were like not talking and like the rest of his family was there, but it was just huge drama. So, yeah, I mean, I think they broke up. I don't remember.
1: Aaron Rodgers, they might be no, no, no,
3: no, no. no. The brother, I think, no, they actually might still be together. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't play football anymore, right? That's
1: one of those funny things of like. It was like, oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers' brother is probably just kind of a weird celebrity sibling who just hates his, like, famous, successful brother. I was like, no way. Like, this, like no way does Aaron Rodgers suck. That guy seems cool as hell. Uh, my definition of cool as hell is really, I mean, I mean look at Loose. the I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, like, after this year, I'm starting to wonder, like, maybe Aaron's brother was onto something. Like, guy holds up
0: for The whole family was kind of like, of money.
3: Aaron's... Not around very much.
0: Yeah. Did you – I mean, you saw uh, – was it a week or two ago when Aaron Rodgers was doing a good thing? He was raising money. He's from California – or he uh, went to college at uh, yeah. USC, right? Like, that's where he was the quarterback? I'm. Um, okay, give okay. me a second. Okay, I'm setting okay. it up, Natalie. Okay. <laughs> and so he was raising money because, he, you know, that's basically where he got his, you know, professional football start uh, for, you know, the, the, the fires out there. And so he's put out this tweet, with this video. Whole the whole NFL, all the players are resharing this. It's this big. Oh, Aaron Rodgers is doing the good thing. And then his brother quote tweets it, and then just fucking drags him
1: about being a horrible piece of
0: shit. And it was just like, like this too busy. Cut. Drama. It, was,
1: it was like when you're too busy making a video to call and see if your parents are okay.
3: Damn. Uh, which,
1: like, yeah, no,
3: yeah, and no. Like, Aaron sucks,
1: right? This is, I mean, this is kind of the question. Like, does he maybe suck? Like, he he basically got his. You would coach you would have known year. he
3: sucked if you watched The Bachelorette like four seasons ago.
1: Shit! It turns out. It turns
0: if out. If you this want is that rivet. football Rod, lore,
3: you gotta fucking watch.
0: Waypoints next year. Rob and I will watch that episode. We'll we'll hash this okay, out. it's a good one. Pro
1: football focus needs to get scouts like on like on the Bachelor <laughs> beat, Apparently, just like
3: I got you, I got you, fam.
1: Honestly, we should just you know
0: a series thing. We should just watch like the Bachelorette yeah. next year. For uh,
3: I'll let you know if it's a something. good one worth watching.
0: You can let us know. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a commitment. I'm just saying. You want to let us been know. Been some bad
3: ones. I'll There's get been in some real bad ones lately.
1: I'm be honest. I feel like Natalie agreed way too quickly with my self deprecating reference to my coolness or lack thereof. No, like, that was before was you was like, said she was quick on that.
3: No, that was before you started talking about your flannel. I really like your flannel today.
1: Mm, okay.
0: See, I wouldn't.
3: I would. I. I really.
0: Now you're questioning her compliment. I no, what I do. I really mean? do like it. Just like Aaron Rodgers is questioning everything. I'm yeah. not
3: Aaron Rodgers. With his
0: brother. Aren't you though?
1: You want you In California. You money off him. Where's that iPod yeah. Touch? Did, did you did you share the iPod Touch?
3: No, it was don't mine. think so.
1: Yeah, that's that's Rodgers I an bought Aaron it with Rogers my own movie. money. Total Aaron Rodgers movie. <laughs> it was yeah, my money. Exactly.
3: Yeah,
1: I yeah. won it. That was his he looked at he looked at the salary cap for the Green Bay Packers and he was like, That's all my money. Sorry, oh, no. teammates. That's my money. I wasn't
3: money. on a team. I was by myself.
1: Mm, that's just how Aaron Rodgers, that's just how <laughs> team he Team Watson. That's just how it's just Team how, Watson. That's just that? how he rolls. All right. Uh, so that will <laughs> do it for our 2019 this kickoff. This really went somewhere. of waypoints. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that was. Uh, we'll, we'll, hopefully this was listenable. Uh if if so, if it's the start of the year. Uh, we'll we'll figure out what waypoints looks like as we move through the year. Uh, but in the meantime, it's been so fu- so much fun doing this. I look forward to another year of great waypoints from y'all and keeping up with uh, w- with your respective interests. Uh, in the meantime, our thanks to two Mellow for the track Slide Asleep off the album After Midnight. You can find that at twomelomakes.bandcamp.com You can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com I'm Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you online? Uh, at Patrick Lupe. Natalie.
3: Uh, at Natalie Watson.
1: Alright. And that'll do it for this week's Waypoints. Hope you've enjoyed the break. We'll be back again uh, very soon with actually I have no idea what our schedule is going to be coming into the new year. Uh, it's entirely in chaos uh, so who knows what you'll hear next uh, but I do hope for whatever it is you'll join us again. until then do not give in to astonishment and don't punt on fourth and short in opposing territory Jesus <laughs> but don't do a, don't do an absurd <laughs> fake punt neither God.
3: Okay, okay,
2: boys. Okay. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance.